When you open the book and this book, the one that we bring, uh, it is, but it isn't. Now it is. You know, I flipped that thing. That was the second time I had turned it on and off, and uh, so I didn't get it all the way over. Sorry about that. Anyway, when you read the words of Jesus, are they talking to you? Are they um, meaningful to you personally? Do they have do those words come off and, and affect you personally? It is interesting that in um, the book of John, there is preserved for us two personal edifications to two, two people that Jesus encountered by themselves. <laughs> you know, most of the time Jesus had a, a, quite an entourage. He had his disciples. And uh, a lot of times they had a, lot, a large crowd around him. They had a lot of people that were around him. And so he was hardly ever alone, unless it was at night or up on the mountain praying or, or something. He was, he was hardly ever alone. So it was interesting that in these two instances, Jesus is speaking and, and talking to, to these individuals. And not only that, but he is bringing something so profoundly spiritual to these two individuals. When you read it and you think about who he was talking to and the message that he was bringing them and how eventually that message actually ended up in the Bible, how that must have happened somehow, how it finally got around into the Bible, it's, it's quite profound. Obviously God and Jesus Christ wanted this message to be brought. It wanted this message to be available to affect us, to give us some understanding, especially how important these two messages are. And of course, what I'm talking about is uh, my message today is the Pharisee and the, uh, and the Samaritan woman. And they're both found in, in the John, the third and fourth chapter. Um, the, 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 um, the Pharisee, of course, is Nicodemus. Everybody knows that. You uh, learn about Nicodemus really early and different things uh, that you learn about. And uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Um, he was a ruler of the Jews. That's the very first verse, John the third chapter. But he's not just, in the beginning, when he met Jesus as the ruler of the Jews, he actually had many other things that he had, was involved in. One of those things was his um, encounter with the other rulers of the Jews. Now, you're going to find that in, in John, the seventh chapter. And it's interesting that what he says here. So obviously, what we're going to read, what we're going to find out about that Jesus told Nicodemus must have affected him. Must have affected him personally because he, he stood up. They were out trying to find Jesus. They were out trying to, to find something that they could, could um, harm Jesus with. And it's interesting that in John, the seventh chapter, 45 through 53, then came the officers of the chief priests, Pharisees, and they said to them, why have you not brought him? In other words, why haven't you brought Jesus in so that we can try him and, and, and kill him? 
The officers answered, Never man spoke like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, um, Are you also deceived? And of course, this is uh, um, John the 7th chapter, if I hadn't said it, 45 through 53. He says, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knows not the law are cursed. Nicodemus says to them, He that came to Jesus by night, uh, being one of them, does our law judge any man before hear him and know what he does? They answered and said to him, and here's obviously what he was taking a little bit of a, a liberty here in, in addressing these. He says, and they answered him, are, are you also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee arises no prophet. And every man went in his own house. And so um, Nicodemus stood up for Jesus and, and actually um, said, you don't know him unless you, you hear what he has to say. And what he's, and they were, they were out to get him. They were out to get him. And, and after his death, Nicodemus was, was, was part of those that, that helped. Uh, he was with uh, Joseph of Arimathea when they took Jesus down. Joseph did, and, and Nicodemus was there with him. And that's found in the, the 19th chapter of John, beginning in verse 38. After this, uh, Joseph and Arimathea, uh, being, uh, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus, wound it in linen clothes, uh, with spices, in the manner of the Jews is to bury. And of course, now the place of, and they put him in the sepulcher. So, we find that Nicodemus um, was affected by what Jesus had told him. So let's go and look and see what Jesus told Nicodemus that night. Let's go back to John, the third chapter, and let's see this spiritual thing that Jesus taught Nicodemus. Verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. So God was, uh, uh, Nicodemus had seen the miracles that Jesus had done, and, and, and he, he was coming to him at night. And it's interesting, um, there's uh, some commentary as to, well, was Jesus so surrounded with so many people that Nicodemus couldn't, couldn't get to him? Or was Nicodemus so busy that he couldn't uh, get to him during the day? Or was it because Nicodemus was a Pharisee and secretly wanted to find out about Jesus um, and, and, you know, ask him some questions? Well, it's interesting <laughs> but Jesus brought it up first. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa, I can imagine what Nicodemus, all of a sudden, Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time in his mother's womb and be born? So he, he thought he understood where Jesus was coming, but he didn't really Jesus answered said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
that which is born of the flesh, um, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Those are spiritually understood things, brethren. Very deep that he gave to this Pharisee. It's interesting that if you go back, um, Paul's revelation reveals a little bit more about that, doesn't he? In, in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, in verse 50, 1 Corinthians 15, 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. And if we go to uh, verse 42, we see that Paul also amplifies this a little more. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in, uh, in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It's sown in dis dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. And Paul says then, this is so profound, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And what he's saying is that, the, that no matter whether you're physical or spiritual, there is a body that will be given. What we have today, and in the kingdom, we'll be given a spiritual body. The disembodied spirits are demons that are seeking out where they might find a body. And we see that where Jesus cast them out, cast them away, because they're, they're um, evil spirits, they're demons. And um, so anyway, the, uh, back to, to John, the third chapter, where Jesus is explaining these very deep spiritual things to Nicodemus. And it's interesting, the things that, that he brings up next. Let's go back now and let's go to verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell from where it comes and to where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So we're, <laughs> we can be loosed from this physical uh, realm. And it's so interesting that we are pretty much um, captured, aren't we? If we go out into space, we've got to take the atmosphere and uh, gravity or anything with us. We can't live very long without air, without water, without food. Uh, our physical bodies require all of those things to, to exist. And God has created this beautiful place for us to live. But this is where we, we're at. We're, we, we're stuck here. We, we're, uh, uh, we're blessed and we're very thankful for what God has created, but uh, we live and we die within the atmosphere of the, of the earth. And we're we're buried, but someday we, we look forward to be like this, to have that spiritual body, that be able to go anywhere we want. As Jesus says, the wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell from where it comes to where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We'll have the power to go anywhere in the universe we want. We'll have the power to... You know, walk on the sun if we want to go to different planets. Now, I was just thinking about how uh, how interesting it was that just recently, that I don't know when that uh, that satellite was sent out there, but it's been out there for a very long time, flying out in this out into space for a very long time, and it finally got out to Pluto, <laughs> and it finally took some pictures of this planet 
way out there in the middle of nowhere. And uh, obviously, it's, it's more interesting than what they thought. It was a lot more interesting than what they thought. It had all kinds of uh, mountains and different things on it. And, and so uh, it, it turned out to be quite an interesting uh, um, endeavor. But we'd be old people by the time we got to, to even the nearest other star system. Or we'd be dead unless we, you know, they put us into you know, sleep thing or something like that, which they have not invented yet. So the universe is not for man. The universe is for man after he has been changed into uh, a spirit. I mean, been born of the spirit. Uh, Nicodemus answered and said unto him in a verse, um, beginning in the verse, uh, let's see, I want to go all the way through um, uh, verse 10. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Are you a master of Israel and know not these things? Now it's very interesting that Jesus would ask him this question. That, that looking into the Old Testament, that he would be able to answer all this, this spiritual thing that, that, that Jesus just revealed to him. Within that, within that context, I, I found one thing that, I, that might re have some re relevance to it. It's in Ezekiel, the 36th chapter. Of course, we, we know about the dry bones and that part, but I, um, and how God works with, uh, was going to work, uh, bring up all of Israel. But this specific thing, let's go to Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, and uh, beginning in verse uh, 23. 36 and verse 23. He says, And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which you have profaned in the midst of them, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. A new heart also I will give you. A new spirit I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my statutes, uh, judgments and do them. In verse 28, And you shall dwell in the land that I will give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. If you remember, the Bible says that that indwelling spirit quickens us. And God has written in there many in different places, which kind of points to these things that Jesus is revealing. But understand, this is in this to today we can understand this. We can understand um, what Jesus is. Uh, telling us today, and he, uh, and with Paul's writings, with Jesus's writings, they are revealed, and they're um, very much a part of our uh, understanding and learning. Let's go ahead and back into John the third chapter and pick it back up. He says, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that what we know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things." And you believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Which he just did. 
No man is ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And you remember that's the fiery serpent that was lifted up that whenever they were bitten by snakes, uh, uh, venomous snakes, they would be healed. And so um, the, the same um, analogy here, that Jesus must be lifted up, he must be um, crucified, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, and we're so very familiar with this one verse, and yet in all of this there is so much understanding and so much emphasis on the spiritual and yet, the world focuses on this, this one verse. And if you, if you go and um, buy a Bible, that's usually the verse that's on the, the box. <laughs> John 3.16. Uh, it'll be, the, it'll be that, that verse that they will translate on the box for you because it's so familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Remember, Nicodemus is the one that he's preaching this to and teaching this to. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes in him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation, that light, that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, Neither comes to the light, lest his deeds be proved. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. That they are wrought in God. So, as uh, then it says, uh, after these things Jesus came and his disciples into the land of Judea. So, this night encounter with, with Nicodemus so affected him, as we see, he... He defended Jesus, and then he was there uh, when Jesus died and helped with his burial. It, and he may have been one of those that went out and preached and taught. And, of course, obviously, he probably, he must have revealed this so that John could write this up in the Bible. Now, the, the other one that's very interesting is the Samaritan woman. Now this, sometimes you wonder, Jesus preaching to this lady this tremendous, profound truth. And yet, it talks to us, doesn't it? It's in the Bible. It's part of our learning and our understanding. And, uh, and it encourages us because it's part of us. So let's look and see. John, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 5. Then he came into a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus at the well, and it was that sixth hour, which is about twelve noon. And there comes a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples, now here's... here's Here's how we know that, that there's no one around but he and this lady, this woman. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria to him, 
How is it that you being a Jew ask drink of me, which is a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? So wow, here's, a, here's, an, interesting, here's an interesting aside. What do we learn here <laughs> from, from this, little, uh, this little verse here? We learn something about this, uh, this scenario. First of all, Jesus didn't have a halo, did he? Didn't have a halo. Um, the pictures of Jesus with a halo are absolutely false. Um, Jesus also didn't have a, um, he didn't have long hair, and it wasn't blonde, and he, he didn't look like a Roman. What did he look like? To the lady, she knew exactly what he looked like. He was a Jew. She knew he was a Jew, and she knew who she was. <laughs> she was a Samaritan woman, and the Jews didn't talk to the Samaritans. And here he was, a Jew, talking to a Samaritan woman, and he's about ready to reveal some profound things to her. Jesus answered and said to you, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. Wow. Of course, the woman looked at him and said, Sir, you have nothing to draw worth, and the well is deep. Where then have you the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and children and his cattle? So she's trying to understand. And Jesus answered and said to him, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him well springing up unto eternal life. This woman, and of course us, down through the ages, we have been blessed, haven't we, to hear the message that Jesus brought, to understand the truth that he brought to this lady. And it's interesting that in John... Let's see, I think I want to go to all, and that's, that's where I want to go. Let's go to John, the seventh chapter, just real quickly here. And Jesus does this on the, the last great day. He says this, beginning of verse seven, 37 of John 7. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And so Jesus, once again, brought that up. Let's go back to chapter 4 again. Picking it back up in, in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither have... Um, here to uh, come here to draw. So she totally misunderstood. Jesus says, this is interesting. I, this is quite profound. Go call your husband and come here. Well, she didn't lie to him. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband, in that 
in that said, you truly. So he knew who he was talking to, what the woman was all about, and everything about her. And yet, he chose her to reveal something very profound. Interesting, isn't it? And it's like sometimes God uh, will speak to us even when we're, and, and if we're just listening, if we'll just listen, that what God is, is telling us and talking to us about, it might wake us up in our hearts and our minds. Sometimes maybe when we're in the throes of trials or tribulations or doing something sinful that we shouldn't be doing, if we just listen, if we'd open the book and listen to what Jesus has to say, will it help us and, ch and change our hearts and our minds? I think so. This woman was, was, was quite impressed. But he goes on. He goes on to, to even reveal something even more profound to this woman. He, she, says, <clears throat> um, she says, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus says, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now that's pretty prophetic. Because by 70 AD, there was not going to be a temple. Jerusalem would no longer be a place where they could go to worship. The Jews were going to be scattered all over. And, um, and so consequently, this was prophetic about what we've lived with for almost 2,000 years. There's been no temple there. The Jews have been scattered all over the world. Israelites have been scattered all over the world. Uh, men have had the word of God, been able to worship the Father as Jesus said. The hour comes and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. That's what he's looking for all over the world. Anyone, as he is calling, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's so, so interesting and so profound how Jesus revealed this deep spiritual truth to her. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And so even the Samaritans knew this. And so he was revealing this. And he says, I that speak to you am he. Jesus revealed that he was the one. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seek you? Or why talk you with her? And so, um, I, wanted, I wanted to go, let's go to Paul's revelation now. As we see this being revealed by Jesus to this woman, let's go to Paul's revelation about this, because Jesus did reveal more about this very thing, about worshiping God and the Spirit of God. So let's go to John, the Romans, the eighth chapter, as we look deeper into what has been revealed about our relationship with God.
and about the Spirit that dwells in us. I'm not going to read all of this because there's, a, there's quite a bit of, of in-depth things in this all the way through. We've read Romans 8 many, many times. Um, if you get a chance and you haven't read it in a while, take the time to read all of Romans 8. It is a, it's a tremendously profound chapter. But I'd like to, because of, of, of what I brought out, I'd like to, to focus on that part. He says, but, in verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So, so Paul is revealing that that Spirit that indwells. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the, dwell, from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. So now we've tied all of that revelation that Jesus gave, and Paul now ties it together in showing that that Spirit that dwells in us gives us the that power through the Spirit now to, to, to have the potential to be resurrected into the kingdom of God. It, you're quickened or made alive because of the Spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to, lift out, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. If you truly live after the flesh, um, and don't accept Christ as your personal Savior, uh, you will die. You'll die the second death. But if you live, um, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What a, what a tremendous blessing, having God's Holy Spirit. God calls us His sons. He loves us so very much. He loves all of His children. Let's pick, let's, um, I'd like to read a couple more verses here. I've only got it to 14, but I'm going to read a couple more. He says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's a, it's a personal thing. Once that spirit is in us, God is working with us, and now we're, we're personally his children. He's, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, that we are his children. It's, it's bearing witness that we are his children. We seek him out. We, we want to pray to him. We actually open the Bible, and, and it personally talks to us because we're his children. We listen to the words that he says when we open the Word, because he's talking to us personally, just like he did to, to Nicodemus and to, to the Samaritan woman. And now all of the Bible is open to us. If we just ask God to, to help us and to learn it and uh, to live by it. It was interesting, I, I thought, uh, at the funeral, uh, the uh, minister there did mention that um, uh, Bertha Arnold uh, just read her Bible every day, and read and read and read. And then when they opened, the <laughs> he, had, he had her Bible. But the Bible he had was a, was a new one. She hadn't had it very long. It was a new one. And where was the other one? 
was with her. When they opened the casket up, the Bible was right here, and she had her hands on it. And I thought that was so tremendous. And it was well worn. Well worn. It's the way we ought to be. I've gone through several. <laughs> I know Laura says too. He's got some that he really loves, but he just I've about gone through all the pages, and they they just get brittle after you you've read and you've studied and you've gone through them, and you um, and so, sometimes we get one one will tear, and we just feel so bad about that because it's uh, the, in in a place like First Corinthians, the fifteenth chapter. One of my Bibles, I, I lost the, that that page. And it hurt because that's the one that I really liked. I liked that Bible, and I lost that page, and now I can't use that one because I, it, it tore out, fell out, and I can't use it anymore. So anyway, but that's, what, that's what's so important, that that spirit that dwells in us draws us to him. And if children and heirs, and heirs of God and joint heirs, verse 17, with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. He has such a great and tremendous um, future for us. Within that same scope, within the same thought, let's go to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Because Paul reveals something even uh, also uh, very profound about the Spirit and how it dwells in us. Beginning in verse 9. But as it's written, I has not seen nor ear heard, Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. See how that, see how that works? There are so much. There is so much out there. There's so much that God is going to reveal and continue to reveal and is revealed in the Word, but is, He's going to reveal the universe to us. He's going to reveal all those things in the kingdom. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, here's, here is, a, this is a profound truth. For what man knows the things of man, save the Spirit of man which dwells in him, which is in him. So, we understand things because there's a Spirit of man that, that's in us. We, that's how, how we can read and write and how... We um, are able to discern things, how we are able to, to um, uh, do math and science and music and all of that. God has blessed mankind with intelligence, which the, the animal kingdom doesn't have. So we are after the God kind. We are created in the image of God, and God has given us great intelligence. But we're missing something if we don't have the Spirit of God also. Save the Spirit of man which in him, even the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We baptize, we lay hands on, we believe that you receive that Spirit of God. That marries with our human spirit, and that is what quickens us and makes us children of God. It's a beautiful thing that, that is revealed in the Bible. It talks to us. It's, it says things to us about the love of God and, and the desire that God has for us to be in his kingdom. And for those of you who maybe haven't kept the Feast of Tabernacles, and some of us have kept it for a very long time, 
every year. It is such a wonderful thing to look forward to the day when Christ will return and this Feast of Tabernacles will be in full swing. A thousand years of rulership of God and Christ on this earth. When he will be taking and doing what is right and righteous. No war. No war. No, you know, we, we will be able to be there and help to make all of it possible. Give us rulership. Give us guide and, and help men to understand the glory and wonder that God has for, for all of mankind. That indwelling spirit, as we have the hope of being his children in his kingdom. Okay, let's see if I wanted to go any further. Oh, I think I'm going to take this all the way to the end here. Okay. He says, Now we have, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which are man's wisdom teaches, which, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It's important that we have God's Holy Spirit so that we can understand those things. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of, of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that amazing? We have the mind of Christ. He talks to us. He instructs us. He guides us. He leads us. If We need his word. We, we need to be reading his word and understanding his word and living by that word. It is so important and so much uh, should be so much a part of us. Uh, Doyle already read it, but I, I, I might go back and, 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 uh, and do it anyway. In and, and Deuteronomy, the, the 16th chapter. Because during this time, God does tell us that we should be re- re- rejoicing. Um, and I'm just reading the one verse that, that he read already. But remember, it's a time of, in which God is, is bringing, and when it's fulfilled... His children and, and mankind will be living in peace and they will truly be rejoicing. I mean, it may take a while. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be very bad right at, the, right at the beginning when Christ returns. There's going to be wars. There's going to be horrible things that are going to happen. And, and we will have to, to work to, to, to bring about that peace and, and what needs to be. It says, you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant, your maidservant, and the Levite and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are inside your gates. It's a time of great rejoicing because it means that the, the kingdom of God will be on the earth. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. Remember, after he came out from that, that time in which he was um, tempted by Satan in the wilderness, the first thing he began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we have been preaching that ever since. Because one of these days, the kingdom of God will be at hand, and it'll be here. It will be here. 
and we will be living in it. And so we rejoice. We rejoice because we know someday that that kingdom is going to be on this earth. And it's going to be changing all the world. And some may not like it, but they're going to have to live by it. And they're going to have to live in it. And they will rejoice eventually. Some countries will not want to come, and they're going to not receive any rain. Some countries are going to, to, to balk at coming to Jerusalem and bowing down before the king. And they're going to have their knees broken so that they will have to bow before the king. It is going to be a day when this world will have only one government that will rule over all. And that's the government of God, Jesus Christ, as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, brethren, as uh, all of us are departing and getting ready to go and um, to various feast sites and various things, I always like to leave a little blessing. Uh, actually, it's a wonderful blessing that, that God commanded the Levites uh, to give to the children of Israel. I uh, will tell you I'm not a Levite, <laughs> but I love this blessing. I love the blessing because when it reaches out to each and every one of us, it's something that says that God loves us so much. Just like it's, it says there, Jesus said that he, he loves you know, each and every one of us. He gave his life for us. He's, and this is the blessing I would like to leave with you. And, and I'd like for you to, to know that, um, that, that God loves you, that he's, he, he's with you. Um, and I ask that you be careful, that you uh, drive carefully, that you... Um, Enjoy the feast, um, and um, have, have a great and wonderful feast. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, brother. Amen.